it's time for that time of the week when we spend some. <laughs> I'm sorry, I start that again. <laughs> it's time for VLGA Connect in the weekly governance update, what some like to call hanging with Mr. Cooper. Oh, Here he is, Steve Cooper. Hello. I'm well, Chris. And look, don't you try to be a jokester today, please. In fact, can I? Can we just dispense with the pleasantries? Sure. Because my mailbox is groaning under its own weight. It's been overloaded. Really? <laughs> with requests. Oh, absolutely. There are throngs of people out there who can't wait for the host of the esteemed local government news roundup to interview the new administrator at the Whittlesea City Council. Oh, really? Yeah, I heard that there'd been an appointment. They're, they're scraping the bottom of the barrel, I have to tell you, Steve. Well, congratulations, Chris, on your appointment. And yes, we are all just waiting for that um, illuminating spectacle of you interviewing yourself. <laughs> uh, thank you. I'll think about how we might do that. <laughs> Yeah, I, wasn't I wasn't planning to report on that bit of news, to, to be honest, because there's well, so much other news around. Is there ever? Uh, Are you going to start with CAO news, Chris? Yeah, why not? Because there's quite a bit uh, to talk about. Firstly, um, this week, Bernie O'Sullivan and David Bazudenhout have both taken up their CEO roles at... Uh, um, Macedon Rangers, Macedon and, Rangers West and West Wimmera, respectively. Thank you. Yes. Um, but we've also had uh, the terrific news that Bradley Thomas has been confirmed as the CEO at Hepburnshire. Great appointment at Hepburn. Good luck to Bradley. Yes. And, and Claire Keenan is joining the Victorian sector from not the back of or the front of, but right there in Burke in uh, Queensland, coming to Moira Shire in July. So congratulations to Claire. And what a beautiful spot, Cobram and Yarrawonga and thereabouts. So, yeah, good luck to Claire with that uh, that appointment. You might not know this about me, Stephen, but Cobram, lovely place, place of my birth. There you go, Chris. Just <laughs> one, one more redeeming feature. Good place, <laughs> Cobram. Good town. Um, and we should, of course, acknowledge Mark Henderson, who's retiring from uh, from the role as CEO at Moira. in A, in a, stellar, a stellar career, not quite rivalling... Um, Phil's had a hand, but certainly Mark has uh, worked in councils uh, right across the state and um, good luck to Mark in retirement. There's also been a councillor appointment this week uh, due to a countback at Wellington Shire. This was due to the passing of uh, Malcolm Hull, very sadly, back in, uh, in uh, April. And Carmel Ripper is the newest uh, declared councillor for Wellington Shire. Welcome and to Carmel. Good, good luck to Carmel. And isn't it a reminder for candidates who might at the actual election be unsuccessful that it's not over till it's over? Uh, indeed. And that's the case at Cardinia, where sadly uh, there's been another death of a sitting councillor. So uh, there'll be, I'm assuming, a count back in the not too distant future there. Sorry. Yep. Mm. Um, Steve, that, so that's the, the, the appointment news out of the way. The big news really that we want to spend a bit of time on this week is the release of a report into a probity review at Kingston City Council. I think this has just been a terrific thing for that council to do, to really take a good look at their planning processes in light of Operation Sandon. Absolutely, Chris. So this was, and I'm sorry, let me take a step back. I'm not sure that Kingston's the only council that's embarked on such a pro process, but as a consequence of the Operation Sand and investigation into Casey Council, and we're still waiting on the IBAC report, which I think has been delayed because 
the uh, investigation sort of broadened its scope and that's added a bit of complexity, as I understand. Right. Um, but the Kingston City Council, knowing that some of the personalities involved um, in the Casey matters had also uh, transacted or been involved in applications at Kingston, commissioned hold, holding Red, Redlick solicitors um, to conduct a report. And <laughs> what Kingston Council have done quite reasonably is publish a summary, a three-page summary of the report, because obviously there would be a lot of matters that were in the in the bulk of the report or in the in the in the formal report that are subject of legal privilege. So they for a whole lot of reasons, including privacy, presumably couldn't be published. But the, the three-page summary is available and easily found on the Kingston website. And in terms of the, the new principles underpinning the Local Government Act, I think a real key one here of the transparency principle at work. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, isn't it that point with the principles, Chris, that it's okay when it's easy, but it's important to apply the principles um, when it's difficult. And Kingston Council really, no matter what the findings are of this summary, and we'll go through it, through it shortly, um, should be applauded for showing that transparency in regard, of the, uh, in regard to the report, because some of it uh, wouldn't have been easy reading. No, uh, this is core business really for the VLGA, isn't it? This is the heart of governance, good decision-making processes, good uh, you know, transparency, use of conflict of interest, et cetera. Um, so I, I, this is probably going to be fodder for some of your training courses in the not too distant future. Well, I hope so, Chris. And I was ruminating that a lot of the issues um, that are raised um, in the report are certainly the subject of um, workshops that Tony Ranich from Hunt and Hunt and I convened uh, with a number of councils as part of the formal induction process. We're currently working on our um, training model for the rest of the year, but certainly um, the VLJ would be happy to talk to councils around that good governance um, space and the issues raised, so you're quite right. So the, the three-page summary, as you say, is, uh, is online and, and public and people can read it, but let's work through the, just in general, the themes and the recommendations that have come from it. So the theme, the, the report's really in two parts. So as you say, there were some themes that emerged and then some quite specific recommendations that Holding Redlick made. And the first one, I'd be interested in your take on this. Mm. It refers to the presence of voting blocks on councils and the fact that interviewees found a division, you know, a, a quite predictable division of voting patterns um, in regard to uh, council personalities maybe consistently voting with each other. Yes, and it does say based on strong philosophical and political differences of opinion. You're always going to have that, aren't you? Yeah, I think that's right, Chris. Um, there's a point, though, at which it goes beyond um, people philosophically aligning with their colleagues if the alignment actually overcomes the responsibility of councillors to um, consider, you know, the views and needs of the wider municipality yes. to treat each matter on its merits, and that voting block just becomes um, a pattern, because presumably, and you'll have some other views, but presumably what that could lend itself to is decisions being made outside the chamber, rather than considering an issue um, all the way until that point where it's voted on. Yes, and you don't want decisions being made, voting in a particular way, just because someone that you ordinarily disagree with is voting the other way. As you say, it's got to be each decision considered on its merits. I think it's also worth pointing out, Steve, um, interviewees described, it says, a division of voting. So the interviewees were? 
Um, that's a really good question, Chris. But the um, my understanding is that Holding Wedley interviewed councillors, council personnel, and parties to planning matters, yeah. um, and it was a pretty broad-ranging um, investigation in that sense. Can I go back to a point that you just made, though, Chris, around um, the voting block? Of course, the other potential consequence of voting in blocks is that you end up with decisions being made for the wrong reasons. Yes. Um, and that the council is exposed, uh, you know, for prejudgment or for the fact that it's um, that its decisions might not stand up because they've not been made for the reasons under the Act. And the more often you vote in blocks and so on, the more likely you are to, you know, straighten the intent of the Act, I suppose. So the next one was about lack of clarity in the call-in process. And for those perhaps aren't unfamiliar, this, uh, my simple take on this is you've got delegations in place, but at certain points, a council has the right to to elevate that matter to to be decided on by the full council. Yeah, and isn't it isn't it terrific that a couple of non-town planners like us can talk about the call-in process for town planning applications? <laughs> <laughs> You're quite right. And the issue about the call-in process, of course, and like, isn't it um, emblematic, if you like, of that tension in the council role in town planning that a matter might be called in because it is inherently political, but the councillors. Uh, sitting on the council to determine um, applications under a Planning and Environment Act are in fact uh, acting as a responsible authority under that Planning and Environment Act. So um, the call-in process by its very nature can introduce a political element to what is meant to be a strictly administrative process. Yeah, And what this seems to be saying is that it is not clear under what circumstances or at what threshold that call-in would be activated. Yeah, we might come back to that later in some of the subsequent recommendations, Chris, but certainly um, there's a message in there about as much clarity as possible to, to make sure that the expectations of councillors, council staff and parties to planning matters, um, you know, what the ground rules are for these processes. Yeah. Uh, insufficient weight being given to independent planning panel recommendations? Um, I can't make a comment particularly about Kingston on this one, Chris, except to say what I've said before, that just because you can doesn't mean that you should. Um, and what this seems to be um, speaking to is the fact that just because a, you know, a council can make whatever resolution it likes on receipt of a planning um, panel report or recommendations, but it would be good practice to make sure that if it departs from those recommendations, that it does so on sound town planning grounds. Yeah, and that it's seen to be giving it the due consideration that it should be given in weighing up all the possible pathways you could take with that decision. Absolutely. And in the context of sand and therein lies a really good fraud control that we'll act on, we'll act on those grounds. Okay. Um, next one was lack of process and governance surrounding meetings with council. We might join these together, councillors and officers, but also between councillors, officers and developers. Absolutely. Um, so there are some recommendations later and Look, I really empathise particularly for councillors in this space because it is human nature that both, uh, well, that report says developers, I'll, I'll say applicants, and objectors will want the ear of individual councillors prior to a meeting. You and I have talked about this previously. Certainly, Tony and I have talked about it with the, the councillors where we've done the inductions. Uh, no one's going to ring a bell for the councillors and say, oh, by the way, you are straying into risky territory here by engaging in these conversations. Um, 
but certainly the absence of what might be a trigger for the meetings, what ought be discussed at the meetings, what the implications are in a strict probity sense or even in a reputational sense, really need to be seriously discussed because it is an exposure. And it's difficult for councillors because ultimately they're subject of an election cycle you know, every four years. Mm. And if someone invites you to a meeting, it's human nature to want to go. There's lots of nuances and practicalities uh, to this, and it's we're not by any means saying it's easy. Um, the last one was around the breakdown of trust between some councillors and officers. Yeah, and they, uh, the report also in the summary talks to the fact that this wasn't universal, though it talks about the fact that because some councillors did express a strong confidence and report for council officers, but equally, um, and it's interesting that the standards of um, conduct um, under the local government regulations require a respect for the roles and responsibilities of council staff as one of the responsibilities of councillors. If there's no trust, that's going to be extraordinarily difficult. If you break down the lines of accountability, therein lies a, you know, a red flag for probity breaches, I suppose, Chris. So let's take a look at the recommendations. There's 14 of them, I think, uh, my very quick uh, adding up was. Um, um, now, I haven't read all of the information here, Steve, so I'm not sure whether the council's made a comment on whether it's accepting and adopting these recommendations, but it's, it's worth going through the intent of these. Yeah, and I think, Chris, um, just to emphasise, um, applause to Kingston City Council for publishing this. And certainly I would look at this not as a comment commentary about what's going on at Kingston because we don't know. Mm. But um, as you, you indicated in your introduction, that these are issues that would, would be applicable to every council and should be considered in that way. So uh, keeping a register of meetings with lobbyists that involve councillors and making prompt disclosures, pretty logical. What a good idea. Yeah. yeah. Um, and again, the difficulty is that often we know these people. Um, you know, it's local government, we're part of community, someone invites you for a coffee. So often the challenge might be um, when a councillor realises that they've been put in an invidious position, maybe at a community gathering or whatever, that the disclosure's made. Um, it's really critical. Uh, consider and document how any perceived conflicts of interest about future engagement with lobbyists will be managed, in particular property developers. Yeah, interesting. It talks about perceived conflicts of interest. And again, it's a reminder that the Local Government Act has changed. And I think I've been hearing recently, and possibly you too, that that has been quite challenging for some councillors because that perception of a conflict of interest, what would a reasonable person think? Would a reasonable person think that your decision might be swayed by the relationship? Uh, we'll come back to that later, but it really bears thinking about it. It's not what your best mate thinks. It's not what your harshest critic thinks. But having a consistent view about perceptions of conflict is important. Political donations? Oh, develop and review. I thought that was interesting in this... Um, report, Chris, that it does talk about developing policy um, over matters that are subject to um, legislation at the moment. Um, so it's not only to have a policy, but what's the area in regard to political donations that is deficient? Mm. Um, so I think there's been a general push um, in the community that... Um, donations from members of the development community, uh, that there's, there's a lot of odium about that. 
um, the legislation hasn't caught up. So council's making a strong statement about what that looks like and also perhaps addressing ways by which those donations might be given through the back door would be probably a useful policy discussion. The next couple process um, matters within planning departments that seem logical on the surface, so random uh, application or allocation of planning assessments to staff so they don't end up dealing with the same issues all the time, uh, but also auditing files to identify any instances of concern. Good practice. Uh, look, absolutely, Chris, and I think... In that sense, we'll be challenging maybe for some of the small rural councils where there are less developers and less members of council staff, how you farm that out, mm. but also how you have a frank um, conversation um, in regard to the audit process. And that remains open rather than defensive. Uh, you're a member of risk and audit committees and you know that the second line of second and third lines of defence are having sort of control bodies inside like an internal audit process or um, you know, finance department, risk department, procurement department, and then the third line being the internal audit committees, mm. that sometimes whilst they're well-intentioned, those relationships can break down and aren't always useful. So it's not just implementing the recommendation, but doing it in a way that supports um, better outcomes. Yeah, spot on. Um, a couple of uh, recommendations that go to training and awareness, not just for councillors, but officers as well. Interesting, yeah. Ongoing public sector ethics training for councillors and officers. This is really challenging. I think as people more often these days move um, from the private sector to the public sector and back again, and we run the risk of that kind of public service ethos being lost. So as you touched on before, certainly that's an area of focus for us at the VLGA, and we're not the only ones. Um, but what we do know in terms of managing culture in organisations is that if you don't do training um, in these um, sort of ethical spaces, that there is a serious exposure for the organisation. I think it's a really good one, Steve. I, as, as you and some people know, I do a, a little bit of coaching with people and often when they've come into the sector for the first time from the private sector, it's really hard for them to get their head around why things, why things take so much time to happen, the decision-making processes but more importantly, understanding the, necess the necessity of having those checks and balances in place. So I think that public sector ethics trainings uh, is a good thing to do more broadly. I think you're right, Christian. And the other part to that is just the nuance around relationships, the fact that, you know, our organisations expect us to build and develop strong relationships outside the organisation. Uh, but that at the same time, you still have to sort of hold to the ethical values that drive the way that work is done. Um, and the other training one, Steve, was about uh, councillors just building that knowledge of the planning system itself. It would be interesting to get some feedback from um, officers and councillors as to what their views are on that one, Chris, because look, let's be clear that the planning system is complex and a lot of councillors learn it as they go. I know a number of councils have done uh, training with either town planning consultancies or legal providers around the roles and responsibilities of council with planning. But I would defy anyone to understand it off the back of a two or three hour training session. Yes, uh, yes. There are ongoing layers of complexity. If the councillors best understand the layers of complexity, then they're better able to respond to, um, I guess, approaches that are not, not as appropriate as they might be. The rest of the recommendations, there's some around policies and guidelines, so ensuring that they're clear and that there's protocols in place for, for communication, uh, document management processes, 
and picking up on some of the earlier one, uh, some of the earlier themes around, uh, you know, documenting a framework for the call-in process. So having those those processes really clearly articulated and understood by all would be how I'd group those together. I'd say so, Chris. There's a couple, though, around um, processes for communication, processes for meetings, um, and I think those ones really rely on the nuance of why are we having meetings? What is to be discussed at the meetings? What are the no-go zones? What is the response to those parties to the application who are not present in the meetings to ensure that confidence is maintained? Um, there's a lot of thinking to be done in that area. And, and realistically, it's the inappropriate meetings um, that are the sort of at the root of the system breaking down, I suppose, Chris. So, it, look, it's there for all to see. Uh, the, the, the very last one is interesting. Take steps to foster constructive and collaborative relationships and mutual respect between councillors and officers, I would hope, that's happening in every council. Chris, I'll need to be a bit careful how I um, phrase this, but let's just go back to where we started today, that you've been appointed to a role as administrator of a council that was dismissed because of a breakdown in relationships. Um, Whittlesea and South Gippsland, that has occurred. At other councils, the failure of the relationships has been quite differently framed, but a breakdown nonetheless. Um, where accountabilities um, and respect uh, are dropped. So... This is a really complex topic because, you know, councillors and council staff have different roles, but keeping the relationship um, in, a, in a way that there's trust, a business-like manner and clarity around outcomes is, you know, absolutely critical. Tough bit of work and look forward to doing that. So I recommend that to, uh, to anyone with even a passing interest. And once again, kudos to Kingston for going through that, that, that process and releasing this summary. As they say, they can't release the whole thing for, uh, for a range of reasons and, and good reasons, but at least they've, uh, they've, they've exposed it at this level. And Chris, maybe our listener might um, make some comment um, before the next meeting, because I'd be really interested to receive feedback from around the sector on... Now, listen, uh, listen, listen, listener singular i know who that person is um steve <laughs> i bumped into our listener out at uh, nillenbeckshire during the week so we want to say hi to jeremy who told me uh, he watches every week for the governance update there's a little sting in this uh, steve he started watching wanting to learn something about the in the new integrated strategic planning framework that's in place in the state he said i haven't learned much about that but i'm still watching and, and enjoying it so thanks jeremy <laughs> oh dear <laughs> epic fail chris <laughs> Uh, it's probably on that list of things that we said we'd come back uh, to. We'll, we'll get there. Now, I know you want to share something on a serious note before we wrap up. Yeah, look, just a, I think a melancholy um, melancholy matter to, to raise, Chris, which is sort of the flip side of what we've been talking about because we started on town planning and some not-so-savoury behaviour. And um, I found out after the uh, after we recorded last week of the, of the tragic and premature passing of a former colleague, Jane Birmingham, uh, who was at the City of Port Phillip and most recently at the City of Melbourne as practice lead for land use and development. So a really uh, complex role in a complex environment and we're much the poorer for Jane's loss. Why I think that, one of the reasons I think it's relevant for what we talk about, Chris, is um, there are any number of people in the sector when asked a question will give you an answer and I think you and I are exhibit A in, in that matter. Um, Jane, without exception, would give you a considered or, or thoughtful answer. And um, that's really at the heart of ethics and good governance. So 
I just wanted to say deepest sympathies to Jane's family, to her many friends and colleagues at the City of Melbourne and also Port Phillip and Valet Jane. I'm sorry, I didn't know Jane, but um, thank you for sharing that, Steve. And on that note, I think we'll wrap it up for another governance update. Have a good week. Talk to you next week. Cheers, Chris. Steve Cooper, the Chief of Staff of the VLGA on VLGA Connect. Thanks for your company. We'll see you again next week.